So this morning, we're going to be looking at a, a really cool story from the Bible. We're going to be looking at the story of Philemon and Onesimus. So first, I'd like for us to understand a little bit of background uh, before we start to dig into this. The book of Philemon in the Bible is actually a letter that was written by Paul to a guy named Philemon. Philemon lived in a city called Colossae, and he was a slave owner. He was also a Christian, and when you read the text, it actually seems to indicate that uh, Paul was the one who led Philemon to Christ. One of Philemon's slaves was named Onesimus, and at some point Onesimus had run away from Philemon. He made his way from Colossae to Rome, and when he was in Rome, he met Paul. Paul eventually went on to uh, lead Onesimus also to Christ, and so Onesimus became a Christian. We don't have a lot of details, but it seems that there was something about the way that Onesimus ran away that weighed on his conscience. Some have speculated that he might have stolen from Philemon when he ran away. We don't know for sure, but it does seem likely that Onesimus caused some kind of harm to Philemon. And I think in reading it, it's very clear that Onesimus simply chose to run from his problems, and in the process of doing that, he broke his relationship with Philemon. So at this point, Onesimus is with Paul, and eventually they decide that the best thing to do is for Onesimus to return to his master and ask for forgiveness and try to be reconciled with Philemon. So Paul wrote a letter for Philemon on behalf of Onesimus that Onesimus himself would actually take with him and deliver to Philemon. In the letter, Paul asks Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not just as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. So a pretty amazing story, and we get a glimpse of this story reading this letter that Paul wrote. So with that uh, background and understanding, I'm actually going to have us go ahead and read the entire book of Philemon. Okay, So don't freak out, it's not too long. Uh, So bear with me here. We'll have the words up on the screen so you can follow along with me. This is the book of Philemon, a letter written by Paul to Philemon that was delivered by the runaway slave Onesimus. Here we go. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary." Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man 
and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So that's it. We just read a whole book of the Bible uh, together. Pretty cool, right? I was kind of on the fence about whether or not we should read through the whole thing, but when I thought about the boost of you know, points we would get to go towards the Bible reading challenge, I thought, <laughs> we can't pass up this opportunity. I think we added at least a couple hundred uh, to the count there. So good job, everyone. So why is this letter preserved in the Bible for us? Why was this saved for so many years for us to learn from today? Despite being a pretty short book, one of the shortest books in the Bible, I think there is so much that we can learn from the book of Philemon. So today, I actually want to focus more specifically on Onesimus and see what lessons we can pull out from him. So here's lesson number one. God wants us to make amends for our sins. By going back to Philemon, Onesimus was making amends. He was trying to make things right. And I believe that God wants us to follow that example and do the same. So what does it mean to make amends for a sin? Some simple examples. If you sin by stealing money, you can make amends by returning that money. If you sin and cause damage to someone's property, you can make amends by repairing that property. If you damage the relationship, you can make amends by taking steps to bring healing to that relationship. Sometimes we call this process of, of making things right or paying back recompense. And that's where uh, the title of our lesson comes today. Apologies are really important as part of this process. That's often the first step that we can take when we've done something wrong. Apologizing is very important, but I think we can often do more than just apologizing. We can go further and seek to make amends for the things that we've done wrong. So note that you know, Onesimus didn't just write a note saying, hey, Phil, sorry I ran away, Onesimus. He actually went back. He physically returned and was ready to face the consequences of whatever Philemon chose to do. It wasn't just an apology, though I'm sure that was part of it. He was truly trying to make amends and set things right. It is just shocking to me that Onesimus actually went back. Isn't that crazy? I think we need to take a moment to appreciate what a serious journey it was for Onesimus. So you'll recall that he had run away from Colossae, where he lived with his master Philemon, and he was now in Rome with Paul. So I'm not real familiar with the geography in this part of the world, so to get a sense of things, I pulled up Google Maps, like any uh, good modern human, and I asked for directions. So you may be able to see here on the left side of the screen, we have Italy there, where Rome is, and then you go pretty far east there. Turns out Colossae is in modern-day Turkey. Who knew? Um, and so it charts things out here. And so from this, Google reports to us that the trip is around 1,100 miles, and Google estimates that that would work out to about 210 hours of walking. Now, Google being Google, they have very politely given us uh, a few warnings about details of this trip, okay? So you, may, you probably can't read this, but you can see these little yellow 
words here on the left side of the screen. I'm going to share those with you. So the first one uh, points out that this route that they've charted for us includes a ferry. That's good to know, right? If you were planning to follow these directions, it might be a good thing to be aware of as you head out on your journey. Uh, the bottom warning lets you know that your destination is in another time zone. So not surprising given the distance that we're traveling, right? I'm not sure that that would have made a big difference to Onesimus and his sundial watch, but for us, it's a good thing to know, different time zone. And the other warning right there in the middle, it lets us know that the route passes through Greece. I'm not really sure why that's funny to me, but, but it is. You know, it's like, hey, just so you're aware, if you're planning to walk from Rome to Colossae over in Turkey, you will be passing through Greece. So just keep that in mind. Can you imagine the guts that it took for Onesimus to make this journey? I mean, I'm sure his stomach is in knots thinking, what's going to happen? I read some, some texts, and it said that any number of punishments would have been allowed, from branding to maiming, even death, uh, would not be unheard of in a situation like this, where the master is making an example out of this runaway slave. He doesn't want to set any sorts of dangerous precedents. So as he walks day after day, what is it that motivates Onesimus to stick with it and make it all the way? As I said earlier, I don't, we don't have a lot of details about what happened between Onesimus and Philemon. But I think there are some things that we can infer based on what the text says and the actions of Paul and Onesimus. It's hard for us to imagine, why would Onesimus feel compelled to return? He was a slave. Philemon's his master. It just seems very odd for us. What could he possibly have to apologize for to the person that was enslaving him? I wonder what kind of conversations Onesimus and Paul might have had that caused them to reach this conclusion. We can get a little bit of a glimpse from some of the other letters that Paul wrote. We know that Paul wrote a number of letters that we have preserved in the New Testament. And about the same time that he wrote Philemon, he wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. And we have that in the Bible as the book of Ephesians. And in that letter, he wrote some instructions about the relationships between slaves and masters. So this is Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Put yourself in the shoes of Onesimus as a runaway slave, and this is the kind of stuff that Paul's talking about. What do you think is going through his mind as he hears Paul saying these words and writing these kinds of instructions? It had to be convicting for him. So I don't want to get too deep into this issue of slavery because that's really not the point of our lesson today, but I do think we need to address it at least briefly. We just read this verse in Ephesians about slavery I want to say I think it would be a mistake to assume that Paul is fully condoning slavery by what he writes here. Rather, I think he's making the point that each one of us is accountable to God as an individual, completely outside the actions that anyone else might choose to take. It's just way too easy for us to blame others for our own bad behavior. For those of us who went through the Love and Respect series a while back that teaches about the marriage relationship, you may remember one of their common phrases where they say, my response is my responsibility. The idea is that you can only control your own actions. That's all we have control over. But we are accountable for those actions. 
So your spouse might be difficult and uncaring, but that doesn't give you permission to be difficult and uncaring yourself because it's still the case that your response is your responsibility. To put it another way, the sin of others will never excuse your own sin. If you're not doing what God's asking, you can't point to someone else and say, well, they made me do it, or, or look at them, at least I'm doing better than they are. So I think that that's what happened with Onesimus. Surely there was uh, blame to all, all around in that relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. But there was something that happened where Onesimus had wronged Philemon, and as him and Paul talked, Onesimus came closer to Jesus and realized, I can't continue to move forward in my relationship with Jesus until I go back in my past and make things right. He needed to stop running and deal with it, to face those consequences. Regardless of what Philemon had done, Onesimus knew that he had some things he needed to apologize for and some things he needed to repent from. This idea of making amends for our past wrongs, it's not popular with everyone. I think there's a group of people that advocate living life with no regrets. This is a common thing we might see on Facebook or Instagram. You can take a look at this picture, right? Someone would post this, no regrets in life, just lessons learned. I wonder, you know, are they really serious in saying that? You know, would they say something like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, I don't regret lying on my taxes, but I'll tell you what, that IRS audit was a big lesson learned, you know? <laughs> no regrets. Here's a more specific example of the kind of um, attitude that I have a problem with. It says, make it a rule of life never to regret and never to look back. Regret is an appalling waste of energy. You can't build on it. It's only good for wallowing in. Now, I agree that in terms of looking forward, we should try to make decisions that we will not regret going into the future. But I think as Christians, we need to strongly reject the notion that we should have no regrets in life at all. You know, if I become impatient and blow up at my kids, I'm pretty sure that that's something I should regret doing. You know, if I forget my wife's birthday, wouldn't that be regrettable? You know, I should regret that behavior and maybe set a reminder for next year, right? It's not like I tell my wife, yeah, I forgot your gift, but no regrets, you know. I'm not looking back, so you shouldn't either. Everything happens for a reason. I can't imagine that goes over very well, right? Show her what you posted on your Instagram. She'll move on. In fact, I think the opposite of this no regrets attitude is true. I think that attempting to live a life with no regrets is actually a way to have a lot of regrets in life. The fact is that sometimes our actions are regrettable. Rather than working to stop that regret, we should do what we can to make things right. So I'm not saying that we should be consumed by shame or that we should worry forever about things in our past that we no longer have control over. But what I am saying is that listening to our conscience and responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a very good thing that we should be doing often. Proverbs 14.9 says, Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. In 2 Corinthians, Paul references the idea of godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is a good thing. It's an emotion that pushes us to do what's right. And his message is that we should embrace godly sorrow rather than trying to avoid it. Rather than suppressing that regret at having done something wrong, we should channel that energy into trying to make things right. That's what making amends is all about. So I want to overdo this point about uh, regrets, but I found one more image that I just could not resist putting in here. I think it really drives home the point. 
you can't tell, the tattoo on the screen here clearly says, no regerts. <laughs> if that's not irony, I don't know what is. <clears throat> One more thing I want to make clear before we move on from this point, because I think sometimes people can misconstrue this. Making amends is not buying forgiveness. You're not erasing your sins by making amends. You don't make amends so that you can force or manipulate the person that you wronged to forgive you. By making amends, you're just simply acknowledging, hey, through my sin, I made things worse, and I'm trying now to make things a little bit better. That's what it is. Okay, here's the next lesson I'd like to talk about. Recompense is part of God's discipline for us. So remember, recompense in this context means to pay someone for loss or suffering. And I want to use that word recompense in a very broad sense. That includes both financial repayment, if that was something that would be appropriate, but also other ways that we might set things right after a wrong. When we talk about this idea of discipline, we usually talk about it in the context of parenting. We understand that when a child does something wrong, we have to provide discipline to them to help soften their heart, help them learn from that, and grow. And I think the Bible certainly does reinforce the idea that children need discipline. There's a lot to be said for that. But there are also many passages that don't seem to reference kids at all. In fact, it's referencing discipline for us as adults. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. This is in verse 5. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. If you skip down a little bit to the second half of verse 10, he goes on, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So after reading that scripture, I think we have to ask ourselves, is there evidence of God's discipline in your life? That was a harder question for me to answer than I might like to admit. Facing our past mistakes and taking responsibility, working to make those things right, it's painful and it's difficult, but it's discipline that shapes us, that changes our hearts and helps us do better the next time, where we can learn from those mistakes and grow. When we pay that recompense, it's us willingly submitting to the discipline of God because we understand that it's going to bring us peace, it's going to bring us holiness, it's going to bring us closer to the Lord. The related principle here is that simply experiencing the pain of making amends helps us to feel the weight of our sin, which is a good thing. Sometimes unconfronted sin just doesn't feel like that big of a deal, right? It can pass us by and, and we don't really take stock of that or do anything about it. But it's much harder to dismiss our sin as small if we actively bring it out into the open and especially if we're making amends with the people that we've wronged. A perfect example of this is gossip. Gossip seems like such a small and insignificant thing until you're facing the person you are talking about and having to confess to them and make amends to them. Now, all of a sudden, instead of just letting it pass by like it's nothing, your, your stomach is in knots and you're anxious and you're feeling the weight of your sin because you truly understand, I did harm to this person. That experience is nearly guaranteed to make you think twice the next time that temptation to gossip comes up. Making amends, going through and paying that recompense is discipline from God that helps us change our hearts. So rather than avoiding the uncomfortable process of confronting that sin, I think we need to lean into it 
and allow it to shape us. When we stop running from those problems and finally face the consequences, that's when we can truly start to change for the better. The final lesson that I want to discuss this morning is this. Getting right with God requires that you get right with people. I think for Onesimus, more than anything else, he was going back to Philemon to heal a broken relationship. When you have conflict with another person, it can easily hold you back from drawing closer to God. Or looking at it from a more positive angle, when we encounter Jesus, our Savior, it compels us to be reconciled to others in our relationships. The dictionary says that to be reconciled is to restore friendship or harmony, especially after an argument or a disagreement. We read this story earlier in our scripture reading, Zacchaeus. He's a great example of what happens when we come into contact with Jesus. He was a wealthy tax collector, and we know that tax collectors were known for taking advantage of people. And his sinful behavior had created conflict between himself and others. My guess is that he probably lived a pretty isolated life because there were just these barriers that had built up between him and others. And then he has this conversation with Jesus. You can just see his heart melting. He immediately makes this huge commitment after talking with Jesus. He says, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back, recompense, right? I will pay back four times the amount. That is a really bold commitment. You know, I almost wondered, did he know what he was saying? Considering the amount of money that possibly could have been coming out of his pockets, he's giving away half and paying back four times the amount. That's what happens whenever we come into contact with Jesus. Suddenly for Zacchaeus, his money mattered a lot less, and he was much more interested in making things right with anybody that he had wronged because he was unwilling that those broken relationships would become an obstacle in his relationship with Jesus. He was compelled to make things right. He understood that those barriers that we build between ourselves and others also become barriers between us and God. Look at how clearly that truth comes out in this scripture. Jesus is talking in Matthew 5, verse 23. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. That's a profound truth. Jesus is saying that God's not interested in our worship or our offerings if we're not living in harmony with other people. He says, you've got to make that right first. Even if you're right there in the act of making that offering, he says, leave it. It is that important that you go and make things right. He doesn't want that worship until we've done that. And in fact, I would take it a step further and say that the act of healing broken relationships is itself an act of worship that makes God so pleased. Onesimus had reached a point in his life where he couldn't move forward in his relationship with God until he first went back. He couldn't live in harmony with God until he made peace with his brother in Christ, Philemon. So as we wrap up our, our study this morning of Onesimus, I think there are some really obvious questions we have to ask ourselves. The first one is, who is your Philemon? Is there someone or something that you've run away from? And what parts of your past are keeping you from being able to move forward into your future? The next question I want to ask is, in what situation do you need to make amends? Are there some debts that you need to pay, literal or figurative? Are there any circumstances that you need to set right? 
you know, take a look around and try to see what consequences have you been avoiding that you need to face. And lastly, where do you need to heal a broken relationship? Is there someone that you owe an apology? Have you maybe been blaming the other person and avoiding taking responsibility for your own response? I want to encourage us to stop running and to face those problems from our past, whether they were a long time ago or just yesterday. We can't always right every wrong, and sometimes those efforts to heal those broken relationships are not received well on the other side. But we can rest assured that God is smiling on us when we try, when we make that effort. Unfortunately, the text doesn't tell us definitively what happened between Onesimus and Philemon when he returned to Colossae. But tradition tells us, you know, history tells us that Philemon did forgive Onesimus and received him back as a brother. Some even uh, argue that Onesimus went on to become a leader in the church. Perhaps the most interesting evidence of how things played out was the fact that we have the letter today. A textbook that I have puts it this way. It asks the question, did Philemon heed Paul's advice? Would this little epistle have survived if he had not? And we can understand that Philemon and the people around him would have little interest in preserving this letter if he had simply thrown him back into slavery, right? So it's a pretty good shot that uh, it turned out well for everyone involved. The beautiful thing in all this is that we have hope in these situations because of Jesus. All of us have done things that we're not proud of. We've all made mistakes, and we've broken relationships, and we're incapable of making those things right on our own. We can try, and we should try. But ultimately, it's through Jesus that we receive true forgiveness. When we turn to Jesus, he takes our sin away, and he allows us to move forward. So I'm going to close by issuing our challenge for this week. The challenge is to identify at least one relationship or situation where you need to make amends, and then take action to do it. Don't wait. Don't delay. There's a sense of urgency there that we need to embrace. So let me close by asking for God's help as we do that. God, thank you so much for allowing us uh, to make things right. I pray that you would convict all of us, God, where we need to be convicted. Put it on our hearts to let us know the people we need to talk to, the things that we need to do to make amends, and set things right that we've made wrong. Thank you for the story of Onesimus, God, and his bravery. May we follow in his example. We love you, God, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we finish our time together, let's stand and sing praises to God together.